What's up, guys? It was another awesome week of college football. The games were amazing. A lot of stuff was revealed. Big picture stuff is starting to look really shaky. And I'm going to tell you some about my personal experience from going to the Red River game and being at the Alabama A&M game live. So let's get into it. What is going on, everybody? Well, I got really hyped listening to my intro, as I, as, as I usually do, but, you know, I've heard it a million times, but after the week I just experienced in college football, both as a fan, as a live spectator at the two games I was at, wow, it just feels like, you know, hearing that intro, hearing all the different sound bites and crazy moments, that's literally what this week was, full of absolute crazy moments. I was so blessed and privileged to be able to literally physically be at two of these moments. So let let me just get into my trip. Like I said last week, I had the honor and privilege of going with my dad this week to Texas. Originally, we had just planned to go to the Texas A&M Alabama game. We had that kind of on the schedule before the season even started. My dad, his best friend, lives in uh, Tyler, Texas about an hour and a half, two hours outside of Dallas, um, further east. And his son is a freshman at Texas A&M, super close family friends. And we decided, hey, let's go to a Texas A&M game this year. We picked the Alabama game. You know, preseason, we thought that was going to be a top 10 matchup or something of the sort. And, you know, we're getting closer a few weeks ago. And I think I think it was about two weeks ago, they released the schedule. And... I'm like, well, Red River is always a noon game, Eastern, like almost always, which is 11 a.m. local time in Dallas. And then CBS, thank God for this, they move the A&M Alabama game to 7 p.m. local time, so 8 p.m. East Coast kickoff instead of typically CBS has their primetime game at 3.30 well, ESPN came in, they made the Ole Miss-Arkansas, the SEC 3.30 game. CBS moves their game to 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local Texas time. So my dad and I realized, oh my gosh, we could pull off this doubleheader. We love having epic sports weekends, all sorts of doubleheaders. And honestly, this one might take the cake. I mean, we're Florida State fans, so there's some specific Florida State games and moments and trips we've been on most notably the national championship in 2013 versus Auburn, where nothing can really top that as a fan of you know your team. And obviously I've seen some amazing games in Doak, um, 2014 Notre Dame, 2014 Clemson, Florida. I was at the Notre Dame game just this year, and even though that was a loss, that was, you know, when it's your team and the, the adrenaline, it, it, it was just incredible. But we've also gone to a lot of 
games of teams that we don't necessarily have stakes in, but we just love to see different venues. The The other trip that's comparable to this one, I have ties to, obviously, I'm also an Oregon Ducks fan. I did end up graduating from there after going to Florida State for a few years. I'm from the state of Oregon, and, and then my sister goes to Oregon State. You know, I've always kind of liked both teams, Beavers, Ducks, growing up in the state of Oregon. So in 2015, we pulled off a crazy doubleheader where we went to Michigan in the morning, the big house, because at noon, Michigan was playing Oregon State. And then later that afternoon, I think around 7.30, 8 p.m. Eastern, was the nightcap top 10 matchup between Michigan State and Oregon. That was the year Michigan State ended up going to the playoff, actually. So seeing both of those venues in one day was an awesome weekend. I think we went to a a Cincinnati Reds game like two days before that, which was also really, really cool um, because we we flew into, into Ohio and met with family and did that whole drive from there. So that was, that was a really awesome doubleheader weekend. Another cool trip my dad did was in 2013 to start the season. We flew into Columbus where I used to have an uncle who lived there before he passed away. And we went to the Ohio State home opener, which was like Ohio State hosting Buffalo. Really, really hot <laughs> that day. But, you know, Braxton Miller, Carlos Hyde, all those guys, Devin Smith. And then we drove to Pittsburgh because on Monday was Florida State having their opener at Pitt. Pit. And then on that Sunday, we saw a Pittsburgh Pirates Cardinals baseball game. And that game was actually kind of for the division. So it was like sold out and pretty awesome. So that was another kind of epic sports weekend. This one probably takes the cake just considering the fact that we went to Red River Rivalry. That's been a bucket list game of mine since I was a little kid. I've watched every Red River Rivalry game since probably, you know, 2004 that I can remember. Obviously, I've even watched older ones because I'm nerdy like that. But all the great Red River games I can remember watching growing up and even in recent years. And to finally be at one and to have it be as crazy as it was, we'll get into the, you know, the breakdowns of games later. But just from a fan perspective, you know, Texas gets the big lead. My dad and I were sitting in the bowl. We were really close to where College Game Day and Corso did the pick, but that was a, an all Oklahoma section. And my dad and I didn't have any real stakes. You know, I, I kind of, I wore a Texas shirt. Just, I didn't care much, obviously. I had my Florida State hat on right? My snapback. That's kind of like, hey, I'm here, Florida State fan, but here to pick game. But we're surrounded by Oklahoma fans. Obviously, a lot of them think we're, you know, diehard Texas guys with our shirts, but Corso picks Texas right there. Fans are booing. It was epic. You know, Texas gets the huge lead and the Oklahoma fans were definitely kind of nervous, but not as nervous as you would think. It kind of reminded me of some of the Florida State games I went to towards the end of the Jimbo area, right? Like 2014, 15, 16, where Florida State was always getting down, but you kind of knew they were capable of coming back. I kind of got that vibe from the Oklahoma fans. And then once they switch quarterbacks, you know, go from Rattler to Caleb Williams, everything changed for Oklahoma. I mean, Texas wasn't out of it. They were punching back too, but it was just an awesome game. And I want to say like 80% of the action happened in the end zone we were at, right? Texas scores, I think, four touchdowns in that end zone that quarter. The blocked punt was right there in front of us. So we got all that action. Then in the fourth quarter, that's where Oklahoma was going. So both those Caleb Williams bomb passes where he kind of scrambled out, threw it deep, one landed, you know, right down there around the 10-yard line. The other one got in the end zone. We were right there for that. We were right there for his long touchdown run, like the first play they brought him in for. And then, of course, 
that's where they ended up winning the game, was right there in that end zone. So crazy. I mean, the day could have been ended right there, and it would have been one of the greatest days ever of going to an awesome college football game. Red River, the Cotton Bowl, super cool atmosphere. Love that stadium. And after now being there in person, I love it even more. It's definitely old school. Um, but I, I wish so much they would move the bowl game back to that stadium, right? I mean, it's an it's an awesome college football venue, and that's where the Cotton Bowl should be played instead of Jerry World, I think. And I think that venue hosting semifinals every four years as part of the Cotton Bowl, even honestly being a national championship destination, would be really awesome. That's a awesome, iconic, classic college football stadium. So many epic games have been played there in the past whether they were Red River games or just old Cotton Bowl games. So that was really cool. Then we get in the car and we start the three-hour drive, or it was about two and a half hours we pulled it off in going down to College Station because now we got the Alabama game. And I'm streaming games in the car. I'm watching Florida State, North Carolina. I'm watching, obviously, Iowa, Penn State, Georgia, Auburn, right? My dad and I, we got both our phones going, different streams happening this whole drive, you know, we're nerding out to games. We get to AM about an hour and 20 before their kickoff. We go to a tailgate. I pig out on some awesome smoked meats. I was starving. Didn't really eat almost all day because we left the Cotton Bowl so fast and would have liked to have grabbed some food at that state fair, but whatever. Got awesome smoked meats at an awesome tailgate there at AM. Met up with my dad's buddy's son, who's a freshman. Talked to him. Tailgated with some guys for a little bit. And then headed into the game, got to our seats right around kickoff, basically. And there was a lot of hype. And I got to tell you, Kyle Field is an awesome stadium. It's huge. It might have, it felt like the biggest stadium I've ever been in. And it definitely was the first time I've been in a stadium that big with that big of an atmosphere. Obviously, I've seen tons of games at Dote Campbell, which only holds, I think, like 84 to 86,000. And Doak gets awesome, and it's probably still my favorite place to see a game. I'm biased, obviously, um, but Doak at night with a sold-out crowd is awesome. And then one of the better venues I've been in, you know, Michigan State, like I told you guys, at night for a top-10 matchup, that was also awesome. Michigan, the big house, I actually wasn't too impressed with that, and I don't know how much of that was. It was a noon game. They were playing Oregon State, who wasn't that good, right? So I, I, I'm not going to judge them too hard for that, but... It wasn't as loud as I would have thought it was. Um, been to Ohio State at night, or I, not at night, sorry. My dad's been there at night. I've been there twice during the day. In 2008, I was at Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan wasn't that good that year, but it's still, you know, the game. And it, it was pretty rocking. It was 18 degrees, freezing. But, you know, that was that was pretty good. And 2018, went to Notre Dame when Florida State was there. Florida State wasn't good. But that was a pretty good atmosphere. This, I say, would have to at least tie with, in 2015, I went to Clemson, Florida State. We were both top 10. Um, and that game is was epic, you know, for a lot of those years, you know, Jimbo Fisher versus Dabo. And this was Clemson finally beating Florida State with the Sean Watson. So that game was loud. Obviously, Clemson's smaller than Kyle Field. I think they're only in like the 80,000 range, kind of like Doak. But it's Death Valley for a reason. That place was rocking. They beat Florida State the night, but this game is probably right there with it. And I was up really high, so obviously the sound stays down. You know, the lower you are, the more intense the sound is. Um, so I'm sure the lower you are at Kyle Field, the louder it, it would have been. But what a crazy environment. I mean, that stadium just it feels 
huge. I think it holds 102,000. They said they got like 106,000 in there that night, which is insane. So that might have been the biggest, most attended game I've been to. I know that technically Michigan holds more, but I doubt they got that many for that Oregon State game I was at. I know Ohio State technically holds around the same 105,000, but the two games I was at, I don't know what the capacity was exactly. Either way, this was the loudest, most intense game of that capacity. And then, of course, the game was incredible. AM stayed in it the whole game. We'll get into that later, you know, obviously. But it, what a great game. They, they knock off Alabama. The fans are going crazy. Awesome traditions at AM. You got all the cadets there. The game is about to start, and all of a sudden, you know, fans are grabbing my dad and I on the shoulders left and right, and then we start doing the sway thing, and I, which I should have remembered. You know, I've seen that on TV many times, but all you know, it's just it's happening. You're like, okay, <laughs> so that was really awesome. Just an incredible day, an incredible day to see both of those games. You know, we're telling people during the tailgate, like, oh yeah, we were at the Cotton Bowl today, and everyone's like, what? And for AM fans, it was the perfect day because Texas gets beat and they knock off Alabama, so. It was my first time seeing Texas, first time going to Red River, obviously. I had seen Oklahoma before. In 2010, my dad and I went to the Florida State game in Norman, which was also a really cool environment, really, really cool game. Oklahoma kind of whooped us that day, but that was a good one. So I had seen Oklahoma before, but never seen Red River, never seen Texas, never seen Texas A&M, never seen Alabama, never seen Nick Saban live, never seen an SEC game, a true SEC game, and this was an awesome first experience. You know, got Red River, first SEC game, all on the same day. The SEC game lived up to the hype. It was an awesome SEC game. Environment-wise, felt like what you would expect from a an Auburn-Georgia game, an Auburn-Alabama game, an Alabama-LSU game. You know, this was A&M, but it was, it was epic and had so much fun with my dad. There's probably nothing I enjoy more than going to games with my dad specifically it's just it's kind of our thing it's it's so much fun and my dad's awesome you know in my opinion the best dad in the world and he's provided so many opportunities for me throughout my life to go to these games and we feel so blessed and so lucky to be able to do that so mostly this weekend that's just been my takeaway is how lucky i am as a human to see some of these games i've had and enjoy these memories that I've gotten to have with my father. So that was awesome. Anyway, sorry, spent 15 minutes there, but if you're a college football fan like me, you, you're you in it for those type of experiences, right? I don't even have stakes in those teams. That wasn't even my team, but loved, absolutely loved that. And then my team, Florida State, we won kind of surprisingly and looked good. So it was just a perfect day, college football, for me personally. Um, especially when you consider I wasn't even attending my own team. So that was awesome. Anyway, the week really set the tone for, for a lot of things. We had what I called like a separation Saturday last week, right? September is awesome because of the mystery, right? You, you got a lot of big matchups. Week one's always crazy with matchups, but you also never know what you're looking at week one, right? Alabama destroys Miami week one. Well, what does that really look like now? Miami looks like garbage. Florida State Notre Dame was this epic battle week one. We got to enjoy that game, and it was awesome. But now you're looking at, you know, Florida State really fell off after that. Is Notre Dame really top 10? We don't know. In the moment, you're like, is this are these two top 10 teams? Or, or like I said earlier, is this 2016 Notre Dame-Texas? 
Looks like it was kind of somewhere in the middle of that. Florida State's obviously turned into hot garbage since then, although the last two weeks they've kind of bounced back. Notre Dame looks about, I'd say they look like your average 10-win Brian Kelly team, right? They, they obviously lost Cincinnati last week. That was huge. Cincinnati needs them to keep winning, right? We'll get into that later, but that that's kind of what they look like. Well, what I love about once you get into October is you start to know who teams are, and you can put a lot more stake and information and assessment into the results of games, right? So last week, you know, when Georgia whoops Clemson in week one, you think, wow, this is incredible. Well, now we know maybe not. You know, Clemson's kind of fallen off. They're, they're still good, maybe still the best ACC team, but they're not the Clemson of the last, you know, six years or so. But when we see Georgia absolutely dominate Arkansas last week, and then we see that Arkansas has some good wins on their on their resume because Texas looks like a good win still, and we see them then go into Ole Miss and still play well, we can actually say, hey, they're, that did tell us a lot about Georgia, right? And you can say the same about a number of games at this point. I think Iowa-Penn State revealed a lot of things, right? When Iowa was beating Iowa State early on, you're like, this looks really good. This Iowa defense looks good, but but what's going on here? We don't know much about these teams. Oh, Iowa State's fallen off. So how good is Iowa, right? When Penn State beats Auburn, it's a little early. Okay, that looked like an awesome whiteout game, looked like your typical Big Ten or SEC type of game, great defense, hard hitting, but maybe Auburn's not good. Like, who, who are these teams, right? Oregon, Ohio State, it feels like two juggernauts, but maybe Ohio State's a little weak this year. Well, what's going on? Okay, Oregon did lose a game. Mm, okay, but we're starting to feel these teams out and really, really get an idea. And last week, I kind of settled in the, into the idea as I think most did that, okay, it's clearly Alabama, Georgia, and everybody else. Now with this Alabama loss, doesn't, I mean, Alabama's not out of it. Everybody knows Alabama's not out of this thing at all. In fact, they're probably still, I mean, if you're betting, probably one of the best bets to make for winning the national title. Nick Saban's only had one true undefeated national championship run. That was 2009 right? His first title at Alabama. I don't really count last year. I mean, if you want to count the COVID year, technically they went undefeated last year. I don't count anything about last year. To me, last year didn't happen. It's not a record book type of season for me. I don't think anyone was the real 2020 national champions. Uh, they're the COVID national champions, but there's an asterisk on it. Not my fault. Blame the college football world that butchered the season. We don't need to get into that. But all the other Nick Saban national championships, right? 2011, 2012, 2015, 2017, Alabama experienced a loss in the regular season, typically an SEC loss, and they're always to good teams. It's funny that technically this was the biggest upset Nick Saban's had at Alabama since he got going, since the dynasty got going. 2007, all right, there were some weird games, the, what was it, UAB or Louisiana, whatever game, and they lost some, they were like a seven and six type of team, but from 2008 to now, only pretty good, decent to really good teams have ups, upset Nick Saban. If, I mean, and I don't even call those upset. When a ranked team takes down a ranked team, yeah, sometimes Vegas had this one team favored by a lot and, oh, maybe the spread was 20. But when good college football teams beat other good college football teams, I don't like to use the word upset. To me, upset is like this team had zero business 
beating this team. You know, an upset to me is Stanford beating USC in 07 when they're 42-point dogs, completely unranked, and USC is having a dynasty. That's a college football upset. And Alabama, like I've said before, the, the main thing about Saban is they just don't have those moments, right? An Alabama upset is, oh, they lose to number 15 Ole Miss who played a good game. I mean, that's going to happen sometimes. Even in this case, A&M wasn't ranked, right? Because they looked bad against Mississippi State last week. So technically on paper now, this is the first time like an unranked team beats Alabama. But A&M is not your typical unranked team, right? This is not a 2007 Stanford USC game or a 2011 Oklahoma State drop in the Iowa State game. Like it's not one of those AM's respectable. And honestly, AM's probably kicking themselves if, if they could have just beaten Mississippi State or Arkansas one of those two games and only had one loss, they'd be absolutely alive for everything right now. But with the two losses, they can't even win the division unless Alabama loses again. Right? Then they finally have the head-to-head. But but it doesn't matter, you know, AM fans probably don't care. They'll take this win over anything else right now, and I don't blame them. But we know that AM is not absolutely solid, right? That, that's why I'm getting back to the October thing. We know who AM is. Now, AM last night looked the best they had all season, hands down, because Alabama didn't look bad against Texas AM. It definitely felt like the case, and I was at the game live and I've rewatched it, you know, the broadcast since. And it definitely feels more like AM played up to Alabama's level, way more than Alabama playing down to AM level. You know, we saw AM. AM from Colorado onward, when, when Haynes King goes down and Cardozo or whatever comes in and takes over, you know, they, this offense, I talked about it last week, they're just not explosive. I, I've criticized and praised at different times for different reasons the Jimbo Fisher offense and kind of what they do and can't do. And when they don't have a five star, super smart quarterback, they're just not explosive. It's such. You know, when they don't have super smart receivers that do the perfect breaks at the right times, the offense doesn't flourish. Well, last night, they played like like some of Jimbo's best offenses played at, at Florida State or at AM. I don't know why they couldn't get any of that to click against Mississippi State, against Arkansas, against Colorado. They just, they haven't looked like that. Are they going to continue to look like this going forward? Or are they going to be inconsistent? So we don't, we don't know that about AM. So maybe AM has vastly improved over the last few weeks, but we know who AM is. AM's not a world beater. They haven't looked like this all year. They played significantly differently in a couple of games over the last three weeks. Even in the ones they won, they just didn't look like this. Now they do look like this. So what does that mean? I'm, we're not sure. We do know, though, however, that Alabama is vulnerable. And more than vulnerable, they just lost, right? So when Alabama beats Miami week one in the fashion they did, you're like, this is just same old Alabama. I mean, who can beat them? And I was on that train too. I was like, can anybody beat Alabama right now? I didn't think Ohio State or any of those teams were on that level yet. Now people are starting to say the same thing about Georgia, right? Well, I think if you really look at the games this week, I don't... I think Georgia is definitely number one. They're, they're my number one team right now. I, what they did to Arkansas was very impressive. 
They won again. They, they shut down Auburn, right? And and I think a good comparison is, you know, what did what did Penn State do to Auburn? Penn State also beat Auburn, played really good defense against them. And Georgia beat them even even worse. And this game was at Auburn. No, I don't like just complete... I you got to look at head-to-head stuff. It does matter. And I don't think that definitively means Georgia is miles ahead of Penn State or anything. I think Georgia-Penn State would be an amazing game. Um, you just don't know how those two teams are going to match up against each other. But comparing their common opponent, you know, Georgia looks a little better. Georgia's undefeated. Georgia has three pretty good wins at this point, right? Clemson's still a good win. It's not what we thought it was. It's not that juggernaut you beat a team in the top five. But it is a very good win. And then, you know, they got the dominating win versus Arkansas. Arkansas has that win over AM. They got the win over Texas. So Arkansas is good, right? And then Arkansas, you know, loses to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is now Alabama's best win. So that's also why, I mean, the rankings came out, and, and I don't really agree with them. I'll get into that in a second, too. But... This idea that Georgia now, because now the narrative, obviously Alabama lost, so people can't say it's Alabama, Georgia, and everybody else, but people still have this narrative about Georgia. Well, now it's Georgia and everybody else. And I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Georgia's definitely number one in my rankings. But there, let me run down my rankings real quick. I was going to wait, but I think this is a good time. I would have, because I have a huge problem with the way we do rankings one, my main problem is there's no clear criteria, right? NFL power rankings are very simple. Arizona is number one. Why? Because they're 5-0 and now. And it doesn't matter if you think Buffalo's maybe a little better than them, right? You know, it's not about betting. It's not about betting odds. Maybe I would bet Tampa to beat Arizona. Maybe I would bet Kansas City even with Mahomes, even though they lost again. Maybe I think... You know what? I, I think they could beat Arizona. Well, it doesn't matter. Arizona's 5-0. Those other teams aren't. So they're number one. And I know college is a little bit different because the you don't have as much parity. But I think among the power five, 90% of years, there's enough parity to honor wins and you got to punish teams for losing. So my rankings are, are sort of similar to what you have. But when the AP came out, Alabama only fell to number five. And the only reason, the only reason you can justify having Alabama at number five still is, well, I just think they're still really good. And that's not a bad argument for betting. If I was betting tomorrow, I probably would have Alabama probably beating almost everybody, right? The only team that I'd be scared to bet Alabama is probably still Georgia. But that's not how rankings should work. Preseason, yes. Preseason rankings should be all about who you think has the best roster, the best coaches, right? One thing I don't like about preseason rankings is having a team high because you're predicting. So I've heard a lot of, take Clemson, for example. I've heard people say, well, I got Clemson number two. I think they're really like the fifth best team, but they play in a weak conference and I expect them to go undefeated. So and make the championship. So I got them at number two. Well, no, if you think Clemson on paper is the fifth or sixth best team, that's where you should rank them preseason. Now, once the season gets going and games start getting played, you have to just go on paper, right? I think the BCS was the best system of rankings. Now, we didn't like we only got two teams in the championship game, right? I'm not I'm not saying I don't 
like the expansion of now allowing four teams, but the way the AP has ranked teams since playoff expansion and then the way the playoff committee kind of came in with no real criteria, sometimes it's all about resume, sometimes it's all about deserving what you've accomplished. They try to have this middle ground and you do have to have sort of a middle ground. But I think the BCS with its computer mixed with AP kind of had it right. It was like, look, you can't lose. And yes, the SEC deserves a lot of credit. And when it comes down to tiebreaker situations, these two teams have a very similar or same record. Now you can start jumping into real resume stuff, strength of schedule stuff. But to have, in this case, right, Alabama again, be number five when there's still some other really good one-loss teams out there. Tell me why, in what world, Alabama should be in front of Penn State right now. How does that make sense? Again, the only argument you could make is, well, with my eye test and what I would bet my money on, I think Alabama's better than Penn State. Who cares? We are seven weeks into the season, and what you've done on the field matters more. In what other sport do we have these sort of arguments in, right? Like I just said, in the NFL, you win your divisions, you do what you're supposed to do, you have a better record, you're going to be ranked ahead, you're going to the playoffs over that other team. That, that's just how it works. Baseball works that way. And don't give me the parody argument because you can make that argument in any other sport as well. In baseball, some divisions and conferences are way stronger than others. In the NFL, last year the NFC East was garbage. Washington made the playoff. Did they have a winning record or were they 500 or they might have even had a losing record? You've seen teams with losing records make the playoffs because they're still the best team in their division. That's how the sport works. And then a caution to the people that want the big expansion, you're not going to have it both ways. You're not going to have 12 team college football playoff expansion and then also have Oh, it's the best teams. No, the, with expansion comes just more structure and more criteria. And like this gets you into the playoff period. There's not. So pick your poison. It goes both ways here. Anyway, what I'm saying is in what world in the way sports should work, can you have Alabama in front of Penn State? Who has Alabama beaten? Alabama has beaten Ole Miss. And that's not a bad win at all right? That, that's probably their best win. They dominated that game. I've got Ole Miss in my rankings sitting around 16. Okay, so I guess from that standpoint, Alabama does have a slightly better win than Penn State. I mean, than, yeah, than Penn State, because Penn State's best win at this point is probably Auburn, who I have ranked like 26, right? They've got the two losses. But Auburn has only lost to two really respectable teams at Penn State in the whiteout and now Georgia. So this 4-2 and two Auburn team is probably should be one of the more respected two-loss teams, okay? But then you also got to look at, look at wins. Penn State's other good win would be Wisconsin. Now, unfortunately, Wisconsin also has two losses, but they've got two respectable losses. Wisconsin is still a tough team to beat, although this probably isn't their year. No, sorry, Wisconsin has three losses now because Michigan also. So... It's not a sexy ranked win anymore for Penn State or for Notre Dame, but we all know we watch the sport. That's a good good win. And now Penn State's only loss is to the number two team on the road when their quarterback went down. That's a better loss 
than Alabama's loss at AM. Because AM, yeah, while they played great and got that win over Alabama, who was AM before they beat Alabama? They're an unranked team that doesn't have explosive offense. Defense wasn't playing up to the standard, right? They're AM is still the team that lost to Mississippi State, lost to Arkansas, barely beat a mediocre Colorado team, or basically a bad Colorado team. Minnesota went in there and scored five times the amount of points on Colorado as AM could, right? So let here, let me run through my rankings real quick. I got Georgia one, six and oh. Iowa number two, six and oh. I got Oklahoma number three, six and oh, right? Yeah, Oklahoma's been up and down, but I respect being undefeated in October, okay? And the Texas win was a good win for Oklahoma. And the the way their quarterback switch happened, they're looking like a different team to me now. Now, I really want to see Oklahoma sustain this to keep them there, but I've got Oklahoma number three. Guess who I have number four? Michigan. 6-0, baby. Power five. It's October. Oh, but they haven't looked as dominant. Well, they haven't lost. Okay, I, you got to treat these teams evenly, okay? If Michigan had played all the teams Alabama had played and maybe looked like Michigan still, and then they just lost to, right? Michigan played Nebraska on the road this, this week. That was a tough game, right? They almost lost, but they, they won. Nebraska is not as good as Texas A&M, I don't think. But on paper, you can't say A&M is just, 20 miles ahead of Nebraska, if Michigan would have lost to Nebraska this weekend, they would have dropped so far in the rankings, they would have been behind two lost teams. And maybe rightfully so. I'm not saying that doesn't make sense. But Alabama has, this is a bad loss for Alabama. This is the worst loss Nick Saban has ever had at Alabama since the dynasty got going. And they barely fall. All the one-loss teams in the Power Five, most of them should be ranked ahead, right? So, so I'll keep going through my rankings. I got number four, Michigan 6-0. Then I have Cincinnati. Because, yeah, Cincinnati has the one good win, but I, I've never been a big group of five fan, right? I think, hey, that is where I really do get into the whole who you playing, who you scheduling, that type of stuff. But they have that win over Notre Dame, and I think that is a good win on the road. So I do have Cincinnati number five at 5-0. Five then I go through my one-loss teams. And I got Alabama at the bottom of them, right? I got Penn State, number six. I think of all the one-loss good teams, right, which in that list is Penn State, Oregon, Ohio State, Bama. I I feel like as of today, I got to put Bama at the bottom of that list based on sports, okay? Penn State's five and one. Their only loss was at Iowa. And honestly, after rewatching all the games this weekend, Red River was awesome. The A&M game was awesome. But the real big juggernaut game was Iowa Penn State. If you haven't watched that game, because maybe you're more of an SEC fan, maybe you just don't take Iowa seriously. Guys, watch this game. Put yourself in the mood of a game. That was a great game. Those teams are good. The football was not sloppy. Those defenses are legit. If those two teams had SEC logos, they both still be in the top five. People would have said that was the game of the century. Oh, that was 2011 Bama LSU. That was, oh my goodness, right? Same When Georgia and Clemson played, they got that benefit of the doubt. Well, we've seen who Clemson is since then. So that game was not that. It's October. Iowa is 6-0. Penn State is 5-1. and 
Penn State has some good wins. Now, if the Penn State offense was just a little bit better, I think Penn State would get more respect. But Penn State offense so far has done what they needed to. I don't know if Iowa wins this game if Sean Clifford, Penn State quarterback, doesn't go down. And Iowa, right in the beginning, you're like, well, they're getting a lot of turnovers, but that's not sustainable, right? Well, they've made it look pretty freaking sustainable. Indiana, week one, they get like two or three pick sixes and defense looks dominant. Against Iowa State, they get a bunch of interceptions. They force turnovers. That's when you're like, okay, well, is this sustainable? Or is this luck? Well, no. I watched the Maryland game two weeks ago. If, if you're thinking Ohio State looks great, Iowa destroyed Maryland just like Ohio State did this last weekend, right? And, oh, Ohio State offense is coming along. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're not. But people are really starting to love Ohio State because of this Rutgers win and this Maryland win. Well, then you got to show that same love to Iowa. And Iowa's not being disrespected or anything. They are number two now. But it's kind of like they're two by default, right? The idea that they would ever be ranked ahead of Georgia is blasphemy. And I've got Georgia one. I'm not saying they should be one. But I don't think it's crazy. I think there's arguments you can make. I might not agree with them, but you can make little arguments that why shouldn't Iowa be one? It's definitely not Georgia and everybody else, right? It's definitely not that. I'll get back to the Georgia-Iowa in a second. Sorry, I'm bouncing all over with my rankings. I want to get through them. So like I said, I got Penn State six. I've got Oregon seven. Oh, Michael, but they have the bad loss. They, they do have a worse loss than Ohio State who's also a one-loss team, but the head-to-head -head matters to me more. Stanford's not some terrible team. Oregon was down their offensive coordinator in that game. That's huge, and the offense struggled in that game. That last drive, Stanford got extremely lucky. Now, I'm punished. A loss is a loss. You should be punished, but wins matter too. Oregon has a better win than Alabama, period. They won at Ohio State, People are starting to fall back in love with Ohio State, and maybe rightfully so. Oregon won at the horseshoe and then had, you know, kind of a not a good loss, but it was at Stanford. It was in overtime. They didn't have their offensive coordinator. It's a bad loss. I'm punishing them for it. But to me, they've got to be ahead of Ohio State because of that head to head. Ohio State lost at home, and they never looked like they were going to win that game. Oregon was always ahead of them. Oregon didn't have to throw, right? Stanford beat Oregon because they kind of made Oregon throw the ball. And Anthony Brown, I don't know if he can get it done, right? He's not the type of quarterback that I want to put all my, you know, eggs in that basket of, oh, he's going to lead us down the field to win a game when it matters. I don't know if he's that guy. Well, he didn't even have to be that guy against Ohio State because Oregon just kind of scored when they wanted to. Oregon's defense played pretty good, even though Oregon gave up explosive plays to Ohio State. Ohio State was never in that game, it felt like. And they were in the game, but they, they couldn't win the game. That's one of the best wins of anybody in my top 10 or in the top 10. That's one of the best wins anybody has, right? George, because like I said, okay, so I got Oregon 7. Then I have Ohio State 8. Then I have Alabama at 9. I think they have to go behind those other one-loss teams. How can Alabama be above Penn State, Oregon, or Ohio State right now? It just it doesn't make sense. Maybe you could have them above Ohio State because their loss was on the road to a team that played extremely well, A&M, where Ohio State's loss was at home. But Ohio State's loss was to a better team. I've got Oregon in the top 10. I don't have A&M there. I got A&M at like number 21. 
right? So then I've got Michigan State 10, Kentucky 11, Oklahoma State 12, and Wake Forest 13 because those teams are undefeated. Yeah, now they haven't maybe played quite the competition yet. We'll see. And I that's where it's like, okay, I understand maybe having Alabama get above those teams even though they're undefeated because, again, you got to have that balance of is this team better but – Records matter in sports. Losing matters in sports. So, yeah, I'm not saying Alabama has to be number 15 right now behind every undefeated team. I'm not saying they have to be behind Wake Forest today. But to just give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, I think they're really good. They're Alabama still. So I've got them number five above all these other one-loss teams with better resumes to this point. I don't agree with that. I can't do that. Then I got Arizona State, number 14. Notre Dame, 15. Ole Miss, 16, BYU, 17. These are my, you know, other really good one-loss teams. And then, you know, you start to get the list. I got Arkansas, 18, 4, and 2. Florida, 19, 4, and 2. NC State, 4, and 1, right? Then Texas A&M, 4, and 2. Um, to top it off, I got SMU, number 22. Texas, number 23. Coastal Carolina, 24. 25, San Diego State, who's 5, and 0. And then I got Auburn just outside of that at 4, and 2. It's really hard to judge, you know, when you get down there at the bottom. But that that's what I've got. And let me get back to this whole Georgia-Iowa argument, Oklahoma, these teams where I don't agree with the, it's clearly Georgia and then everybody else. You know, I think if Georgia and Iowa played, that would be a phenomenal game. A phenomenal game. And while I think Georgia's defense, I would give them the nod over Iowa. Iowa's got an incredible defense. I think Georgia has the best defense followed by Iowa, followed by Penn State. I love all three of those defenses. They're awesome. Here's the thing, though. Georgia doesn't have the offense, at least not that I've seen yet, that really, really scares me. And here's another good example of of taking both these last two weeks and learning from both of them when assessing different teams, right? What Georgia did to Arkansas was incredibly impressive, right? You can make the argument... Look what Arkansas's offense is capable of. They ran it all over Texas. They threw it and ran it all over Ole Miss. That, you know, 51 points they scored on Ole Miss a week after they couldn't score anything on Georgia. Georgia's defense is incredible. But what did the Georgia offense do to Arkansas? I mean, they they dominated them. They kind of just ran the ball down their throat. They didn't need to throw it all around. Maybe they could have if they were forced to. But... You know, they kind of just ran it down their throat. But look what Ole Miss did to Arkansas. Ole Miss lit up the Arkansas defense in a way that it didn't look like Georgia was capable of. So this idea that Georgia isn't vulnerable at all, I'm a defensive guy. I still love the mentality, defense wins championships. I believe in that. But college football has changed a lot, and you need to score, right? So Georgia plays really well when they have the lead, but, and this is my problem with Iowa. I think Georgia and Iowa are very similar, and I think Georgia's a better version of Iowa, where the Iowa offense, you don't trust them to come back, right? That's why I was surprised they came back and beat Penn State, because Iowa, to me, is not the type of team that plays from down by two touchdowns, right? When they're down 17 to three, you're like, dang, you know, and that's why I said, maybe if, if Penn State doesn't lose Sean Clifford, I don't know if Iowa comes back. Because as soon as Sean Clifford goes down, Iowa really just stacked the box. 
You know, Penn State hasn't been the best deep threat team, but they're respectable. They've got some playmakers at receiver. Sean Clifford's good enough that, you know, you give him chances, they will make some plays down the field. But when he went down, Iowa loaded the box even more and really put the pressure on Penn State. Penn State could not take any shots down the field. You're not running on Iowa, right? Iowa was able to slowly come back and win. And the Iowa offense does make plays when they need to in a lot of times. So Georgia and Iowa, to me, are a lot more similar than people give them credit for. I think the average person is like, oh, Georgia is beating Iowa by 21 points. I'm betting on Georgia nine times out of 10. Where I think it's more like, you know, maybe six out of 10 times Georgia's beating Iowa. I think that game's a lot closer. And then look at Georgia against an Oklahoma, Cincinnati, maybe Oregon, Ohio State, Alabama, right? If those teams, those teams have offensive firepower, right? Now Georgia's defense is incredible, but those teams have offensive firepower. If those teams were able to, you know, what if Georgia was down 17 to 3 like Iowa was? What if Georgia was down 17 to 3 against an Oklahoma, against a Penn State? Do they have the offense to go with their defense to get them out of those holes? I don't know. Now, maybe Georgia plays good enough defense that they never get in that hole. But Iowa has proven to me that even if they don't play their game perfectly, because Iowa is not meant to play from behind, but they came back and won a game from behind against a team I think is really good. So let's be honest here. Like, I don't know how we can sit here today and say, oh, Georgia is flawless. It's them and everybody else. No, to me, that's not true at all. And I love when I'm sitting here at these rankings today and I see Georgia one, but to me, a Georgia team that is semi-vulnerable because I don't, I need to see more out of that offense. Now, JT Daniels hasn't even been healthy, right? And they've been winning with Bennett. <clears throat> so maybe this offense is capable of being phenomenal. And this offense doesn't need to be Ohio State or Oklahoma by any means, but I don't know. I've, I've got some questions. If Georgia plays a team like in Iowa, maybe a Penn State, Alabama, and that team does a good job shutting down their run and says, you have to throw to beat us, you have to throw in tight windows, we just don't know if Georgia can do that yet. Maybe Georgia absolutely can. We just, we that's the one thing we haven't seen from them yet, which to their credit, it's because they're beating teams to a point where they don't need to. And we can only go off of what we've seen so far, right? And again, Alabama is not out of this thing. They probably do what they always do, run the table from here on out. You know, Saban almost needs a loss to rally his team. They come back. They go win the SEC championship game at 12-1. and one. They're obviously in, right? But it does change the narrative a little bit because you don't just have these two SEC teams at the top that are on this collision course, and you feel like they're probably both making the playoff because they're going to get to that SEC title game undefeated. Again, a narrative I don't agree with, by the way, and I'll get to this in a minute. But that was kind of the narrative, right? And can anybody beat Bama? Well, someone did just beat Bama. And it wasn't Georgia. It wasn't a top five team. It was a Texas A&M team that could barely score against Colorado, lost to Mississippi State at home, and also lost to Arkansas, an Arkansas team that couldn't do crap against Georgia. And again, I think you got to compare head to heads. You got to look at what teams have done against similar opponents and stuff, but you can't go into it too much, right? You, because some people get so deep, oh, well, Oregon beat Ohio State. 
Stanford beat Oregon. Or Stanford should be ranked against above Ohio State. No, that's not how it works. Every week is a different week in college football. Obviously, AM played at a completely different level this week against Alabama versus what they did against NC State. And we see it all the time. College football is such a mental game. What was surprising to me is, and this is why I give most of the credit to AM in this Alabama game, is Alabama did not look, you know, when I was there live and when I rewatched the broadcast, I did not feel like I was watching an Alabama team that came in and didn't take AM seriously. It looked like Saban had the boys ready to go. They were making plays, right? I never felt like AM had that game. Literally until AM got the ball back at the very end and got in field goal range. That was the only time that I was like, oh wow, I believe AM can win now. The entire time that game was unfolding, when I was in that stadium, I just felt like AM's just gotta like pray that they hold on to this lead. Alabama was still, for the most part, converting third down whenever they wanted to. They looked like that disciplined Alabama team that if you just let off of the, the gas and made any little mistake, Alabama will just be sitting there ready to take advantage of it, cash it in, and beat you. That's that's what they do. But, and give Jimbo credit, This these are the type of game plans. Sometimes I criticize them for these getting plans, but in this scenario, it worked perfectly. Jimbo slowed this game down, got kind of a lead early, got a special teams touchdown, got an interception when Alabama was about to score. Alabama made their plays too, but... They did enough to hang in the game. Now the players are believing. The crowd's believing that place was rocking. And that's the recipe it takes to pull off the upset. Contrast that with Lane Kiffin's game plan last week, right? This is an example of the old school conservative game plan being ahead of this new analytic game plan. And we've seen it go both ways, right? There's times where you could point to the analytic game plan and say it's better. But Lane Kiffin last week went into Bama and he's, he was playing to win. He wasn't trying to hold on, wasn't trying to cover the spread, was playing to win. And you saw what happened. He gambled on like four fourth downs early, basically didn't get any of them. Alabama's up 28 to nothing before you know it. That's the high risk, high reward mentality of that. We're here to play to freaking win because you make those fourth downs, the game could have been 28-28. Or you could argue, you know, if, if Lane Kiffin punts and plays conservative, maybe it's 14 to 6 at halftime, right? Kiffin could have taken some field goals, but he didn't. Um, you know, then you contrast that, right, with Jimbo's style, which is basically, you know, fourth in anything, he's punting no matter what, and they're slowing the game down. And Jimbo, all, when Jimbo doesn't think he can win, and I'm, I'm not sure what his mentality was for this game. You, you could also tell that he, it looked like he had plays and schemes dialed up for this game that he probably had ready from the summer, right? He's such an egotistical guy. I don't even mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying like these games, like Jimbo would much rather beat Nick Saban, a team he's not supposed to beat in Alabama, than, and, and then he'll take the Mississippi State loss last week, right? For him, it's where and on paper it should be, hey, go beat who you're supposed to beat. And then if you lose a respectable game to a really good team in Alabama, like that's fine. But anyway, like I said, AM got this win. They did just enough. They hung on there. They got the break with the pass interference call that they needed. And now they're in field goal range. And, you know, they make the chip shot and they upset Alabama. And the awesome thing is I'm sitting here today looking at an AP top 10 and my personal top 10 that is not exactly aligned. 
and there's all these teams alive for the playoff. And who knows, you know, three, four weeks from now, Alabama could be playing phenomenal. They could be right back up there in the top three, looking like they're going to take it. Maybe Georgia separates, and we do get back to that narrative. But as of today, I'm confident that Georgia, while still my number one team right now, they have some vulnerabilities that I want to see taken care of, right? To me, Georgia's the opposite of Oklahoma. I've got Oklahoma at three. I think Oklahoma's 6-0. I think Oklahoma finally, with this quarterback change, is going to get back offensively to the level we've seen them before. I don't think it's going to be the Baker Mayfield-Kyler Murray offense of, you know, 2017-2018, but I think they're finally arriving and, you know, Lincoln Riley is always going to be down at place. What I'm worried about them is defense, right? Can they really last in these shootouts against big teams? What would an Oklahoma-Iowa game look like? I don't, I don't know. Oklahoma's got some really bad corners, <laughs> to be blunt. Like, And I think they're freshman guys. They've got to get better at that, right? So, and, and they kind of did, right, in the second half against Texas. They didn't give up as many big plays, but Oklahoma's not going to win a national title or a playoff game if they're just that same old Oklahoma team that finally finds the offense, but defense is just terrible. So they've got to fix the defensive problems, but I want to see Georgia fix some of their offensive problems, right? Michigan's really good, but can they throw enough to beat, to beat teams? You know, we'll see. To me, Iowa, Michigan, Penn State are very similar, right? Then you got... Ohio State out there in the Big Ten, who has this offensive firepower. They're kind of like Oklahoma to me, though. They got some flaws on defense. They let Oregon run it down their throat. So these matchups are all potentially super crazy and super interesting. Of course, Alabama is sitting out there at, I've got them at number nine, AP has them at number five, and you expect that there's probably an 80% chance they run the rest of the regular season table. But now that they've got that loss, they can't lose to Georgia in the SEC title game and make the playoff. I don't think they could have from the get-go. Um, but it's a really cool top 10 right now, right? All these teams are still alive for the playoff. Let's run through who's alive for the playoff. Obviously, Georgia. Obviously, Iowa. Oklahoma. Michigan. Cincinnati. They're all undefeated. I think they're alive for the playoff. Cincinnati doesn't control their own destiny because I think even one loss conference champions are going to get the nod over them. It's kind of how this thing works. But I think Cincinnati obviously would get in over any two loss team, no questions asked. And I think they would get in over any team that didn't win their conference championship either with one loss. I really believe that. So either way, Cincinnati absolutely alive. Penn State absolutely alive. One loss, Big Ten they can rally. I'm going to get to this Big Ten scenario in a second because I don't know why, but unlike the SEC narratives that everybody creates, we need to give some credit to Big Ten. But obviously, Penn State could win out. They would have wins over, at that point, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, who are all playing well. They could rematch an undefeated Iowa team. They're 12-1. and That would easily get them in the playoff. Oregon, not out of it. 4-1. and A lot of people, I don't know why, they, they, they expect that Oregon's going to drop another one. And C.J. Verdell out for the season. That really hurts Oregon. I don't know if they can win a playoff game or be a national title true contender, but that doesn't matter, right? It's one thing if you're projecting forward. I don't think Oregon makes the playoff because I expect them to lose again. Well, that that's an argument you can make. But resume-wise, what they've done so far, they deserve to be in the top 10. And everything that is out there in front of them. 
they could eat, they could run the table. I mean, they're still the best team in the Pac-12, at least in the Pac-12 North, right? They have more talent than all the teams they're going to play to finish out this regular season. Maybe UCLA is going to be their toughest game. And like I said before, you know, maybe Oregon State, but they've still got better players than those guys. And if they make the Pac-12 championship game with one loss and they win, especially if they're playing a one or two loss, maybe Arizona State team or a rematch with UCLA, a semi-respectable opponent, they're probably going to the playoff too. So they're right in position. Oklahoma, like I said, right in position, right? They could run the table in the Big, in the big 12 and then stay in the Big 12. Oklahoma State is 5-0 and right now. As long as they make the Big 12 championship game with one loss or less and then win, they could be there. And I know you're not expecting that, right? You expect, you know, Oklahoma State could lose this week to Texas. That wouldn't be surprising. They could lose to Oklahoma State twice, you know, first in the first game, and then maybe they rematch them as the second best team in the Big 12 and they lose again. That wouldn't be surprising. But on paper, what's in front of them, it's all there, right? Michigan State is undefeated. The same scenario as I just ran through with the Big 10 for Penn State is there for Michigan. It's there for Michigan State. Michigan and Michigan State haven't even lost yet. Ohio State has lost. So yeah, Ohio State's still completely alive. They got the, the loss to Oregon, but they could, they're going to play Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State in their own division. Those are They win those three games. They go beat Iowa in the Big Ten. Absolutely, they're in. So they're alive. Like I said, obviously, Alabama's alive. Kentucky, you don't expect that they're going to beat Georgia. You don't expect, but technically... Everything is on the table for them. They are 6-0 and right now, and they're playing Georgia this week. It's going to be one of the biggest games in their history, probably. They win that game. They completely control their destiny at that point. I mean, like, anything is on the table for Kentucky, technically. Wake Forest is 6-0, and and you don't expect them to, to get there either, right? They've got to lose some games, right? They're, they're playing close with Syracuse, Virginia, but guess what? They're a Power 5 conference team. Imagine Wake Forest going 12-0. And here's the thing. You can't treat Wake Forest differently than Clemson, right? This is what I'm saying. You, resume has to be the only thing that matters. You can't base things off of composite rankings and roster rankings, right? If Clemson is allowed to go to the playoff 90% of the time when they're 12-1 ACC champions, then if Wake Forest somehow was a 12-1 conference champion, they would have to get a lot of credit for that too. And yeah, maybe they don't they don't make the playoff because you think another one-loss conference champion is better, right? There's five conference champions, there's only four playoff spots, and then you got Cincinnati out there, you got your independents out there. So I'm not saying that guarantees them in by any means, but you have to give them the same respect you would give Clemson, right? You don't make the playoffs because you know, the tiebreakers don't come down to, well, you're Alabama and like we know you have five stars and you have a Nick Saban. No, that's not, again, that's not how sports work. That's how we bet with our money, but that's not how teams should be selected to go to a postseason versus another team. That's just not, that's not how sports work and no way does sports work that way. I mean, imagine we think the two best teams are in the NFC and the NFC championship game in the NFL and then we just let them rematch instead of the AFC winner because, well, the AFC winner is like, you know, 10 and 6. And let, let's just redo the end. No, that would be insane. That would be blasphemy, right? This is how sports work. College football is a little unique, but we need to keep somewhat of that structure. And pun it, you lose, you're in trouble.
you accomplish more, I have a conference champion and you don't, and we have the same record, well, I should get the nod over you now. I don't care that you played in the SEC or, or Big Ten or whatever that is. And whatever arguments we make, we've got to be consistent with them. This is my last point for this week or for, the, for this segment. I might, might do another show on, on Wednesday or Thursday talking about this upcoming week of games and other big picture stuff. But here's the thing. We've heard multiple years of this now, right? We've never been in this scenario yet. And now that Alabama lost, we won't be in the scenario this year. But everybody says, well, if Georgia and Alabama meet in the SEC championship game undefeated, that basically means they're both going to the playoff because how are you going to punish the loser if it's a close game and Alabama or Georgia loses to the number one or two team by a touchdown or by three points? How you got to keep both of them in, right? The same thing, and everybody acts like if you get to that title game undefeated even this year, right? So now Alabama has a loss, but you're even you're still going to hear narratives like, well, if Georgia gets their undefeated and Alabama beats them by three points, obviously Alabama's in as the 12-1 SEC champ, but Georgia has to be in too as a 12-1 team that only lost Alabama. Okay, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with some of those arguments on paper, of course, right? But 12-1 versus 12-1, I, I personally think you would have to give it to, for example, if Oregon's 12-1 and and Ohio State's 12-1 and and Oklahoma's undefeated, I think you only got it, you can only take one of the SEC teams at that point. I think that, that's just fair. That's just absolutely fair. I don't think your resume is better because you lost to a really good team. Well, at the end of the day, I'm taking a 12-1 conference champion over any 12-1 team without a conference championship and definitely over any 11-1 team that didn't even play for a conference championship. Absolutely. But they always set up that narrative, right? There was a couple years ago when LSU was undefeated and they were playing like, a, I think, a one-loss Georgia team maybe. Did Georgia have one loss or two loss? Well, anyway, the narrative was, well, even if Georgia wins and gets in the playoff, LSU has to go with them because their resume is so good and they were undefeated. Eh, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not saying I would have a problem with two teams from one conference making it, but we've never seen it happen where you jump a team that had the same as you on paper. Let me explain. So a lot of people are you are probably yelling right now like, well, Michael, 2017 Alabama, 11-1. and 2016 Ohio State, 11-1. and Yes, but... In 2016 with Ohio State and in 2017 with Alabama, those teams did not get in over other one-loss teams that did have a conference championship win, right? In 2016, Ohio State got in over Penn State, who beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten, but Penn State had two losses. One of those losses was a blowout loss early to Michigan. So... In, in my opinion, that year, I think Penn State should have gone. I think that was the first time the playoff committee messed up where they should have said, hey, Penn State's win over Wisconsin at the end and their head-to-head against Ohio State, we're going to actually let the two loss go in over Ohio State who didn't win their division, didn't win their conference. But they set the precedent with that. Next year, same thing. Alabama finishes 11-1. and They lose that last regular season game to Auburn. Georgia was automatically in for being 12-1 and SEC champs. Right, Clemson was in at twelve and one, or maybe undefeated wherever they were. ACC champs, and then you had, um, I think Oklahoma, right, was twelve and one 
Big 12 champs. The, the Pac-12 team had two losses or three losses, I think. And then Ohio State was t- a two-loss Big 10 champ, and they kind of had a bad loss. So they defaulted to, you know, maybe should maybe it should have been UCF, but they defaulted to one loss Alabama, who was 11-1. and one. Yeah, didn't play for the conference. Those are the scenarios we've seen where the two SEC teams got in. We've never seen, and I don't think we will see, and I kind of hope we don't see, a scenario where an 11 and 1 or 12 and 1 team without a conference championship actually makes the playoff over a conference champion that's only 12 and 1 i don't think we will ever see that i think that would be too much even if you think well on paper this team's better sports aren't supposed to work that way too much now maybe if the resume was absolutely insane like that team had these incredible wins and maybe the other team didn't but I don't know if we're going to see that this year. I don't know if anyone in the SEC is going to have this, a resume that's so amazing that even if they don't accomplish the same as another team from another Power Five, we're going to get that, right? I mean, and here's the other thing. Why are we not talking now the same scenario for the Big Ten? For example, the Big Ten could easily have, at this point, two undefeated teams and or an undefeated Iowa versus maybe a one-loss Penn State, a one-loss Ohio State one loss Michigan, one loss Michigan State, or undefeated Michigan or Michigan State. Unlikely, I think, but possible. Well, if we said for years now with these potential SEC title game matchups where we think two juggernauts are going to be in there and we act like, well, that guarantees both teams in, you have to make that argument for the Big Ten. The Big Ten has been just as good as the SEC, some years even better lately. Top heavy, they're just as good. Okay, you got some really good teams in the Big Ten. It's a tough conference. The, the, the Big Ten East with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State is just as tough a division as the SEC West has been. This year, probably even better. Okay, and then you also got Wisconsin and Iowa out there. And the other Minnesota's been good. This is a really good conference, right? Even bottom of the conference, right? Like Maryland's okay. Indiana's been decent. This is a good conference. I'm not taking anything away from the SEC. They're also a phenomenal conference, but the Big Ten is right there with them. So if Iowa goes to the Big Ten championship game undefeated and they play a really, really good one loss Penn State in a rematch or Ohio State gets there with the one loss and they lose a really close game, Iowa didn't just hide in their division this year. They've already played Penn State. They they went across division. They're going to play Wisconsin. They They played Iowa State, who, yeah, isn't great, but why would they not be able to stay in the playoff conversation even if they lost? Now, I don't want them to, right? I think that if you lose your conference championship game and you have one loss, by default, you're probably out of it unless it's a 2016-17 scenario where the other conference champions have two losses or more. Then, of course, I think a 12-1 Iowa or a 12 and 1 Georgia, if those teams lost their conference championship games, they should get in over maybe a two loss Arizona State Pac 12 champion or a two loss, three loss ACC championship, obviously. But I really think, even if it was the ACC, I think even a 12 and 1 Wake Forest ACC champion deserves to be in the playoff over a 12 and 1 SEC team, Big Ten team that doesn't win their conference championship game. That's what I I believe, and I think that's fair. 
regardless of if I think that 12-1 and team would beat Wake Forest. That, to me, that can't matter too much. We, if we're going to call these Power 5 conferences, we have to semi-treat them the same. That, that's just what I think. And I don't understand how you can argue too much against that unless you just really want the sport to be 100% based on Vegas. Okay, and if that's the case, then Alabama should make the playoff with three losses because I'm still betting Nick Saban in Alabama, right? Why didn't Alabama make the playoff in 2019 with two losses? I still think they were one of the best four teams on paper. I like their roster. I like their coaching staff. I'm going to take Saban to win a playoff game when he has time to prepare. But with two losses, we're finally like, well, I guess in that case, no. So you can't have it both ways. You got to be consistent. Either you accomplish more, you get in, or we go just to Vegas rankings. Let's at least pick one. I'd be much more happy with the consistency than this is why people get mad, whether it's SEC bias, this bias, playoff bias, because they think that this playoff committee, and this is what I don't like about them either, they can just change the criteria every year to sort of make whoever they want to get in gets in. Some years they're like, well, this team had a better resume. Sometimes they're like, well, this team just deserved it more. You know, make up your mind. That That's all I would be asking for. And honestly, I really hope we get, I really want to see Georgia go undefeated the SC title game and play a one-loss Bama. And at the same time, I want to see undefeated Iowa rematch with one-loss Penn State or maybe play one-loss Ohio State. Because you know that if Alabama beats Georgia, Everybody's going to be making that argument. Oh, well, both Georgia and, Ohio and Alabama have to get in. They have to both get in. Well, then you couldn't. You would be an absolute hypocrite if you were making that argument and then weren't making the same argument for, let's say, Iowa lost by three points or seven points to that one loss Ohio State or that one loss Penn State team. You would have to make that same argument. And that's I really want to see that scenario only because I think the committee would be stuck in such a hard place there because they wouldn't want to have a four-team playoff with two conferences, right? Two Big Ten versus two SEC. Fans don't really want to see that, but they would not be able to leave out the Big Ten team and put the two SEC teams in or, or vice versa. So I think the solution would be they'd have to leave both the losers out. Assuming there were other one-loss champions or an undefeated Cincinnati out there or whatever to, to take respectable playoff spots, obviously. You know, if if we get that scenario and all the other teams out there have two losses, Cincinnati drops the game, well then of course you're you're gonna get that. And I wouldn't have a problem with that in that scenario. But we've gotta be consistent. The SEC has nothing to claim over the Big Ten at this point. And Personally, I don't think the loser of those two scenarios should go unless, like I said, there's two lost teams out there that don't deserve it. But I'm taking one lost Pac-12 champion, one lost Big 12 champion, one lost ACC champion over any one lost team that doesn't have the conference title. And I, and I think that's how it should be. So either way, whatever you think of my opinion of that, you cannot be a hypocrite. So if you're out here trying to make the argument, well, in the SEC scenario, both those teams could get in, but not in the Big Ten scenario, no, then you're absolutely a hypocrite. Absolutely a hypocrite. The way the Big Ten's playing football right now, it's just as crazy as you see. I don't care if it's Iowa, right? That Iowa-Penn State game was an awesome game between two big-time football teams that play really good defense, okay? If Georgia and Alabama had that game, and played that same way, oh, it'd be the greatest game we ever seen. No, re rewatch that game. I'm telling you, probably the best game of the weekend was 
Iowa-Penn State. Maybe not the craziest, but some of the best football, some of the most intense, defensive, well-played football was in that game. And it was a great week for football. So anyway, that's all I've got for today. Soak that up. Let me know what you think, right? Email email me, let's talk college football at gmail.com. Subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube. I'm finally, like I said, I ended up, I had COVID last week, then my girlfriend was sick. She helps me with the thumbnails. Finally getting consistent back here with the YouTube stuff. Gonna get that stuff uploaded tonight, cut some segments. Gonna try to get another episode out here this week, right? Maybe Wednesday or Thursday, instead of just doing one a week. Plans for the video show for the YouTube is coming along. The problem is right now is I'm trying to get, you know, the studio set up where I can, you know, film. I want it to look cool. I don't want to just be talking in front of the a web webcam on the computer with nothing interesting in the background. I've got cool college football memorabilia. I want to deck out back there. So trying to get all that going. My dad's visiting next week, so might not even have that space available to film yet. So I'm not sure when. I'm going to be able to get the show going. Best case scenario, maybe not till November. Maybe not even this season, but that is coming. So appreciate everyone sticking by me. Also, follow the Instagram page I created, College Football Classics. I finally started talking on the story um, and kind of said who I am. I'm not sure if I'm going to use that page to like really promote this brand. Eventually, I will promote the podcast on there. But I might, you know, have a personal page that's me, that's Michael Kirkering, my opinions, and just keep that page, the highlight page. Um, but, but we'll see how that goes. And if you found this podcast from the Instagram page, welcome. And yeah, like I said, that's all I got for today. Soak all that in. Let me know what you think. I want to have opinions. Um, and speaking of the Instagram, there's a lot of people I'm talking to on the Instagram page now. Eventually, when that video show gets going, I want to start doing a lot of guest shows where we just talk, me and another guest, another person. We're talking about college football for an hour or two, you know, that that's what this is about. It's let's talk college football. Obviously I can rant on and on by myself, but I'd love to be having conversations with other people about the sport that I love so much. So anyway, also you guys probably Wednesday or Thursday going to try to get another show out. It's another awesome week coming up and we'll preview some of those games, right? We've got we got Cincinnati, UCF coming up, Oklahoma State and Texas. That's a big one. Arkansas, Auburn's really interesting. Florida LSU, can LSU do anything this year? Um, Georgia, Kentucky, right? Big, big game, probably the game of the week. Um, Iowa, Purdue, it's a good one. Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, I'm interested in. I still think Virginia Tech's pretty good. Alabama, Mississippi State, and Nightcap, you know, Arizona State, Utah, it's going to be a big game for the Pac 12 South. So I'm excited for this week. Probably not as crazy as the week we just had, but hey, it's college football Saturday. Sign me up. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys.